Peter Margarides, and he's going to tell me if I'm pronouncing it correctly, CPA, CSP, aka the Accidental Accountant, and this is why I'm excited to talk to him, is the author of Improv is No Joke, Taking the Numb Out of Numbers. I love that. That's a very cool name. And his most recent book, Off Script, Mastering the Art of Business Improv. One of Peter's missions is to have better leaders. Remember that we are in the people business first and improv leadership strengthens that critical relationship because we have no business without people. Amen to that. Everybody, please welcome Peter Margarides. Here with us this morning. Am I close on your name, dude? It's pronounced like a cocktail, Mar Margaritas. But, oh. if you, but if you look at it closely, well, it's spelled more like an inflammation, like margaritas. So I'll take margaritas, but not margaritas. Okay. <laughs> now, where do we find you today? Where are you? I'm based in the suburb of Columbus, Ohio, in Worthington, Ohio. Worthington, Ohio. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to get on uh, looking at your take on uh, personal development, specifically through improv. But I want to ask you, how did you get into improv? Uh, actually, uh, way back when I was doing stand-up. And I wasn't doing it very well because we're having a conversation at eight o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine said, why don't you come to an improv class? And I went, I, okay, didn't really know what improv was. And I went and it was weird because I thought we were going to write material, but they were playing these goofy exercises and stuff. And I, I didn't get it. And I didn't think I was coming back until the, until the instructor said, okay, next week, I want you guys to go stay in the 70s. Bring all that knowledge that you learned from the 70s, news, events, music, TV, movies, all that. Bring it into the class, and we'll use that as the basis of our workshop. Oh, that's why it wasn't, I didn't understand it, because I didn't do the homework. So when I did the mm. homework and came in, holy cow, I was funny. Those who, <laughs> those who didn't do the homework, they were not. And mm. I went, there's something to this. And, and that was the one of the points in time I said, I need to explore this more, and it, through the next couple of workshops, I absolutely fell in love with the concept of improv from a comedic standpoint, but I learned that it's more than just being a com comedian. It, it's, a, it's a leadership, it's life. And I've adopted that into my world for the past 25 years or so. And I view the world in a very different place than I did 20 years ago and mm. a more of a complaint-free world <laughs> Because the, the magic, you know, I'll get a little ahead of myself. The two magic words in improv are yes and. Not no because, or not yes but. Right. Yes and. And that helps take away, in your world, that complaint. What can we make of this better? What It's, it's a positive effect. Mm-hmm. That is that is so interesting, and I love the fact that you've chosen to extrapolate that and overlay that into regular living and, and leadership. Because... Um, Having watched improv, I used to love whose line is it anyway. Mm -hmm. And you see that, that it's got, you've got to agree basically with whatever crazy point the other person has thrown out. All of a sudden there's a train moving through the nursery, you know, whatever. And then yes, and we're going to jump on that train as opposed to whatever, because no, but closes down. Yes. And opens up. Is that right? right? 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So tell us more about that. And, and more importantly, I wanted to ask you this because I actually hosted a comedy club one time when I was uh, one time, one time <laughs> when I was a radio announcer. And I remember thinking this audience is a lot more deadly than a regular like speaking audience. Do you see a difference in a comedy audience as opposed to uh, it's almost like the arms cross kind of thing? Comedy. Audience. Absolutely. They're sitting there. I paid money. You've got five minutes. Make me laugh now, mm -hmm. now, now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and plus, they're mostly intoxicated by that point. <laughs> <laughs> Versus our, our corporate audiences, which wait until at least after five o'clock. Right. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. So how did you come to write this book off script? Tell us about that, please. Well, back in 2014, I wrote this book, Improv is No Joke. Great cover. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, the, using improvisation to create positive results in leadership and life. And people liked it a lot. Uh, I took it to corporate America and brought in to do some speaking engagements. Uh, but I kept hearing this one thing. Pete, love the book. You need more business in there. Pete, great book. I, I get the concept. Have more of a business application to it. And then when, when my brother-in-law, Clyde, said, Pete, love the book. Great book. Needs more business. I listened. So what I did was I spent about five years curating articles from Forbes, from Wall Street Journal, for reputable uh, magazines, uh, newspapers, websites, whatever, and gathered this information that proved my point that improv is a leadership tool. From that, I, I you know, TED Talks, books, everything I get my hands on. And then March of 2020 hit, and my business went right down the tube, uh, speaking business. So I had to redesign my business and, and, and figure out how I can do this more virtually. And then in August, I went, well, I'm kind of done with my to-do list. Why don't I just sit down and write this book off script? Because I had all the research done. And I sat down in August of 2020 and just had a blast writing this book. So much so, it's supposed to be 180 to 200 pages. I don't know how my publisher got 312 pages out of me. But that was the purpose of writing this because I had the material, I, I did the research, and I had the time. So what? Uh, give me some examples of what it means to be off script. Because if I, if I understand that that is a good thing, then it must be that some of us are living on script. So what does it mean to be on script as opposed to off script? And how do we cultivate being off script? When you are on script consistently, you are worried about what you are going to say and you're not paying that close attention to the audience. I've, I've scripted this. I think this is what they want to hear. And I'm going to plug my way through this and I'm not going to deviate from the script, but we have seen leaders that do this, that really at some point in time, if they're reading the audience and reacting to the audience, go, I need something different here because I'm losing them. Oh, what the heck? I wrote this. I'm going to plow through it. Then I'll get off step away from the meeting, get off stage. Even if it's not working. That's even, what's so funny. Even if it's not working, people are like, sorry, this is my plan. So I'm going to stick to my plan. Absolutely. And um, I'm going to break a myth real quick, a myth buster. People think improvisers just make stuff up, just pull things out, just kind of wing it and stuff, which is, which is true at points. But as it relates to business improv, about 90% of the time, we are overprepared. Well, we are so overprepared that when we walk in a room, we wad up that script and throw it away. 
so we can read that audience, so we can read our audience and try to understand, are they picking up what I'm putting down? And if not, I better substitute something. I better go off script and add something to this conversation in order to engage them. And most people don't know this is the best kept secret in the U.S. history that Martin Luther King improvised the I Have the Dream speech. Say more about that. That's fascinating. So in 63, in August 63, the, the, day, the night before, he had his, his inner circle together and they were working through the script. And they get to about two thirds through the script and there's this piece there, the I, it's called the I Have a Dream. And Dr. King had been doing this speech for about six, seven, eight months. And his inner circle felt like he'd overdone it. People had heard it, he'd overdone it, whatever. So they yanked it out and wrote something new. And by the way, that original speech was entitled, I Have a Dream. That original speech was entitled, um, Normalcy Never Again. So if you watch the video of Dr. King that day, as he's given the speech, you can see him reading and speaking from the script. Two thirds through, he wasn't getting that response from the audience. He wasn't, the audience wasn't talking back to him, which he, he wanted that audience to do. And he paused for a moment and a friend of his who was a gospel singer, singer Mahalia Jackson, who was on stage with him said, tell me about your dream, Martin. Hmm. Now, I can't find anywhere where it acknowledges in the research that he heard her say that, but other people who were on the stage did. And about that time, he pushed his script to the side and started in the I Had the Dream speech. And one of, the, one of this inner circle who was behind him saw him push it away and said, oh, this audience is getting ready to go to church. <laughs> and he went off script mm -hmm. he was well prepared but also realized that i wasn't connecting with my audience that i wanted how i wanted to connect and made that split second decision to say what we took out i'm bringing back in now is that, that a risk is that a risk yes that's what i wanted you to get to yes and I mean, we remember this because it is literally considered to be the greatest speech of the 20th century right it was and but what if he had taken this risk and it would have fallen flat? That's, that's you know, that, that's, that's the calculated um, risk factor there. What if I, what if I go back to that? I have a dream and it fails, but then he also had to think what I've got here is not working anyhow. So I might as well try something. I might as well take that risk and, 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 and bring in what I know works. Or that's like when you're on stage and you're telling you're, you're, you're speaking to your audience there's times that we can read that when we're reading that audience, we go, okay, I need something else. And we'll figure out, well, I had this story here. Let me bring something new in. Let me bring something this in. Let's see what I can do to engage that audience. Because it's really, it's not about me. It's not about you. It wasn't about Dr. King. It's about how do we engage that audience? How do we get them motivated and inspired? Friend of mine, who's also a speaker like you and I, um, Talk to me about the theory of thirds in comedy. And that uh -huh. is that when you tell a joke, you, you add on to it and you add it the final layer. And I had this one joke that I used to tell all the time. And then finally, I just added this third little element to it. And that just magnified the whole thing. Um, so 
you, incorporating improv into our life is not about being funny. It's about more like, it, it makes me think of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that is first and foremost, agree with the other person. So if you're saying yes, and you've got to be somewhat agreeing as opposed to just shaking your head, no, or whatever. Is that correct? That's correct. Say more about and, that. Yeah. And, and really the foundations of improv are, there's seven fundamentals or foundations of improv, tenets, principles, whatever you want to call them. And that bottom layer, the foundation is respect, trust, and support. Well, I don't wow. have to like you, but I should be able to respect you. And what you do. Same thing about trust. You should, I should be trustworthy. I should be able to trust my team. And as a leader, I should be able to support my team. And they should be able to support me. One of those three are missing. This doesn't work. And we think if I always like to go back to respect, that's the first one. You know what you call a situation that neither side respects each other? No. The U.S. political system. <laughs> Boy. Yes. People laugh at that. And that's part of like kind of that, that, that joke factor. But it's also, oh, yeah, you're right. They don't. It's either my way or no way. There's no compromise. There's no, it's no because, no because or yes, but. But here's the power of, of improv. And, and this, is what, this is what you learn from improv comedy being, you know, it, it's, it's the ability to listen to understand, not listen to respond. We live in a listen to respond environment where we have our agendas. We have our conscious and unconscious biases. We have our egos that stops us from listening. When we can walk into a room, park our ego, park our agendas, park our biases, and truly actively listen with our whole body to what the other person is trying to say, all the while being present, being focused, being in the moment, eliminating distractions. Once we can do that, that is our superpower, then we can adapt to anything that comes our way. And all that what holds us all together are the two magic words, yes and. It just struck me that if you were if you and I were to do some improv, but if I came in with a skit in mind, in other words, I do this, you do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there's no way we can improv because it's an organic experience. Mm -hmm. You give, I give, and we build on it. And I think a lot of leaders, as you say, they tend to go in and say, this is how it is and this is how we must present it as opposed to listening. Right. And it's unfortunate because in listening to the people below us, the ones who are actually in the trenches, that is where we find what's going on. Right. And um, it's a, why is that a difficult thing for people? Is it insecurity? They feel like they got to be the smartest person in the room. If I'm the leader and everybody's looking at me, I've got to be sagacious. What is it? Uh, I say it is ego and people don't want to, leaders don't want to be vulnerable. But if they can park their ego and be vulnerable, they become humans in the eyes of those who report to them. And if they can actually say, I was wrong, I made a mistake. I, I failed at this and, and helped me fix it. Let's do this collaboratively. Improv is about collaboration. It's, improv's about, it's not about me, the leader. It's about us as the team. And, and how can we fix this? But a lot of times leaders just don't want to do that. It's that authority. There's a difference between authority and leadership. Authority gives you the right to fire someone, gives you the right to do certain things. But that's not leadership. When you what is leadership? Define it for us. And if somebody comes, if you're on an elevator at Influence and somebody says, Peter, what is it, leadership? Your response leadership. is? 
and I'll say this is a quote from Simon Sinek. So I'll give I'll give my source. Leadership is the positive effect that you have on another individual. Say that again. Leadership is the positive effect you have on another individual. And I I I heard him say this quote, and it's something I was watching. I was coming back to Columbus through um, uh, Reagan International, nine o'clock at night. Went to the men's room, and the place was hustle and bustle. But the the, the restroom attendant was kept that place spotless. I mean, spotless. And Simon's quote went into my head. I walked over to him. He was leaned over. And I said, excuse me, sir. I just want to say thank you. I mean, this place is spotless. You're doing a hell of a job. I'm in a lot of these airport restrooms. This has to be the cleanest. And, and he looked at me like, one, why are you talking to me? Two, are you crazy? And three, he leaned up, stood up straight and said, thank you. You know what? Nobody ever talks to me in here. I'm just invisible. Nobody talks to me at all. My boss doesn't even say thank you to anything I do. You're the first person to do that. Man, you just made my day, my week, my year. And I went, Cynic is right. What's the positive effect we have on other individuals? That's leadership. You know, it, it, it all comes. It's like the more I study, the more I read, the more I interview, it all comes down to kind of the same thing because – I listened to this podcast the other day and they were talking about effective or or positive and negative leaders. And the positive leader is the person who encourages, et cetera, et cetera. And the negative leader is the one who criticizes, looks for fault, et cetera. And the interesting thing was, Peter, they found that uh, both get the work done almost equally. However, the turnover with the negative leader is Huge. A positive leader will keep people for years. And when they tried to define what is positive leadership, it came down to one word, and that is compassion for other people. And that's that's exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. This um, no but in a meeting, as opposed to yes and, Mm -hmm. it keeps the flow open and it subtly acknowledges people. How do you see this playing out in, in families? I know your focus has been with the new book and everything uh, business, and I'd like to get more into that. But tell us how that applies in personal relationships. Well, my, my son, uh, back when he was in junior high, so this is maybe eight, ten years ago, um, came up to me one day and said, Daddy, all you do is yell at me. I don't yell at you all that. Oh, my God, I do. Uh, 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 Holy. Uh, he was right. Okay. All right. I, I hear heard him. So I consciously went back into my mind and thought about those times that I yelled at him and there was no because this is how to do it. No, because no, yes, but I'm pushing my agenda off on the kid. So I stopped and I made, consciously made it, made a point of remembering this in my head. And then for the next, I don't know, two or three months, I didn't yell at him. I said, yes, yeah, Stephen. And what are you trying to tell me? Or yes, yeah, Stephen. And, did you do your homework? No. Well, tell me why you didn't do it and what's your plan on getting it done. So after about three months, he comes up to me and says, Daddy, you don't love me anymore. Went, what? What do you mean? He said, well, you're not yelling at me. Oh, my God. Talk about a kick in the Yeah, pants, God. whatever. Yeah. 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 It's like, man, I get the world's worst father. But I said, Stephen, wait a minute, hold on a second. You told me I yelled at you too much. And during that time I yelled at you, I was saying no and but, right? What's the two magic words dad always tells you about? I don't remember. That's not it. Think about 
Oh, yeah, it's that yes and thing, Dad. Exactly. I wasn't saying yes and to you when I was yelling at you, but I was saying it to you when I wasn't yelling at you. And we're now having conversation, not dictation. And kind of went over his head, but he's now 21, 22 years old. And I still remind him of that, of, of that day, and, and how the dialogue between he and I changed. And we've come up over the last couple of years up against some really tough uh, family decisions that we've had to make. And I just kept my cool, listened to what he has to say, and respond back in that same manner. And now we're having conversation versus battles. I love the idea of using the word because, and I'll tell you why. Um, I read a book called uh, Complaint is a Gift because I read everything I find mm -hmm. on complaining. And in it, they talk about this four-part method for dealing with people, uh, customer service. And we do this in my company. If somebody doesn't get their bracelets or whatever, we always say, first of all, thank you. We don't say, I'm sorry. We say, thank you. But the key that they make in this book or she makes is that you then need to say because or else it says it sounds patronizing. Mm -hmm. So to tell people because is our motivation and it helps build that bridge. So I love yeah. that you're, you're, you're talking about that as well. Could you give me an example of some leaders? Do you and I'm put you on the spot here? Mm -hmm. Leaders we may know either past, present that have embodied this improv style. Well, Besides yourself, of course. <laughs> Besides myself, uh, that, that we might know. But let me just turn that question just a little bit. We all witnessed the greatest improv exercise of our generation called the pandemic. And then how did your leader respond to the initial news of the pandemic and the months that followed? Did your leader go, okay, we have to figure something out now? This isn't going to work. Uh, I had a coaching client at the time that, that he said that, well, the first thing I had to do was go out and buy like 100 laptops so my people could work from home. Uh, so how did your leader respond to the pandemic? And even, <clears throat> even those in the speaker's world, a lot of people negated. I apologize, there's an ambulance coming in the background. I have control of that. But how did, you know, a lot of people in our business decided they weren't going to do virtual because they didn't want to do it. They wanted to get back on the live stage. And I think after maybe nine, 10 months, they decided, well, this isn't going away tomorrow. <laughs> so they embodied it. Um, I think they found you, Peter. They're coming. To get you. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, you know, of all the times, yeah. of all the times I, I, I have, I think they've gone away finally. There we um, go. Uh, but the, the pandemic was the greatest improv exercise in our lifetime. How so? Well, we had to adapt to the yeah. changing life. Every day we got up and it was something different. It was something new. Something different, something new. Something different, something. It changed every single day. Nothing was the same for a long period of time. Every day was different. And I was depressed the first three or four days. I said, no, what would an improviser do? An improviser would, would, <clears throat> would, would improvise the scene that they are in not the one they want to be in. Say that one more time. You're saying so many great things. What would an improviser do? An improviser would improvise the scene that they are in, not the one they want to be in. Oh, so in other words, somebody floats something which is a bad pass off in your mind. 
you still got to play the scene. And that's what we need to do with the pandemic. That's what we, that's what we need to do. And by doing that, I stay president in the moment to today. Mm-hmm. Yesterday passed. I cannot do anything about what happened yesterday. I can't really worry about tomorrow, but I sure can't worry about two, three, four, five months out. And a lot of people got really depressed because they looked too far out versus just taking a very narrow focus on what can I get up and do and accomplish today in a positive way. I had to redesign my business. I ended up writing a book during the pandemic. I, 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 I you know, some days I was just kind of, I needed to do something different. I learned how to make pita bread. You know, I, I just was, but just trying to stay present and, and, and not get too far. Cause that really helped with my stress level and help me stay out of the liquor cabinet too. Mm, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to give everybody a chance to anybody who would like to comment or share. We've got a number of nice little thumbs up hearts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'll give everybody a chance. If you'd like to ask uh, Peter a question about uh, improv or about his book off script, Tell me again. The title is I see off, up in the corner. Off script, mastering the art of business improv. Off script, mastering the art of business improv. Uh, Peter, you've got a, a PDF of your book, right? That people Correct. can download. Tell me what the URL is. Is it PeterMargaritas.com or how do I find it? Well, um, I didn't think that far in advance, Will, to be honest. Let me try to <laughs> So I was going to make it. I, I can do that or... If you want to copy uh, 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 the PDF of the book, you can email, email me at peter at petermargaritas.com and just put the um, the Teddy Bear Show on there. <laughs> 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 and I, I, I'll, I will send a copy of the uh, uh, PDF copy of the book to them. I think that a lot of us are stressed because we want control in our lives. We live in a life that is constantly going to be throwing us things that we may not agree and the capacity to say yes. And cause we, we can say yes, which is okay. I'll suffer through this and is the action that we put right. into it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And, and we were all improvisers. Mm. Will, do you have any children? Yes. How many? One. One, same here, I have one. So the day that I, we took our son out of the hospital, put him in the back, put him in the backseat of the car, you know, turned around like it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I looked at my wife and said, hey, did they give us a manual? <laughs> There's no manual. Well, how are we supposed to take care of this kid? Well, we improvised because we did the homework beforehand. And when, when something would come up that we didn't know what to do, we always called friends who had more than one kid or we called our parents or somebody say, what should we do in this situation? And then we did it. Um, life is just one big improv stage. And those who, who, those who are so scripted, like I, I, I know this, this person who she has scripted out her life into her 40s. Unfortunately, she's in her early 20s. And I'm like, well, you might want to think about where are you going to adapt? Where are you going to where are you going to pivot? Where are you going to be very flexible and stuff? Because if life was that linear, it'd be kind of boring. What do you think? It, this is a journey. When you say yes and, you lean into the fear and it, it takes you down this journey that you never thought that you would ever go. Everybody, I want to encourage you to use the phrase yes and, yes and as you go through the day. Watch how many times you're in, you're, uh, feel like you should say no but 
and do your best to change it to yes and. And be sure and go to email Peter at PD. <laughs> Peter at PeterMargaritis.com and put in the subject line Ted E. Bear. He'll send you a PDF. Peter, thank you so much. I always like to conclude by asking, do you have a speaking gig coming up? And if so, what city? Uh, I have a private engagement coming up in Nashville on May 4th. Oh, great. Or, or 5th, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, most of my speaking engagements are either virtually. I have a few live ones, but those are more uh, corporate clients, private events. Got it. I've got a... Um... Because people always say, oh, well, you must know Peter. And I'm like, no, not unless it's an, at an NSA thing, because there's a vaccination theory to speakers. If you hire Peter, I won't be there and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we'll connect in an airport or something like that. Everybody be sure and check out PeterMargarides.com. Check out this book. I'm excited to see it myself. So Peter, thank you so much for spending your time and sharing your talent and your insight with us today. Well, thank you for having me. This has been an absolute blast. You're a heck of a host, and I love Teddy Bear. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Everybody enjoy today, and we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow. No more, no more complaining people. Their lives are changing. We're flying high, creating a complaint-free world. No more, no more complaining people. Their lives are changing with life.